going deep. I feel like Kalo on the Miami Heat. The words I speak off this sheet are like a three-peat. I don't just hop on a track. I bring running cleats. I'm a player for real, more than an athlete. Let my mama tell it. Could have ran for the Senate. Instead, I penned it for Donovan Bennett. I'm cemented. This a deep dive. In your headphones or a long drive. Up close and personal, just like you courtside. They ain't no out of bounds here. No offsides. We going live in one, two, three, four, five. You are now tuned in to Going Deep with Donovan Bennett. Thank you, Capital. Well, that sucked. Canada crashes out of the Women's World Cup in somewhat embarrassing fashion. That's the fifth time in eight World Cups Canada has failed to get out of the group. This a group where, as the seventh-ranked team, they were the highest seed. They came in saying that they were underrated and underappreciated, and they were going to show the world, and that is not exactly how things went, and that is not exactly how things went. The last nine matches, because this hasn't just been a World Cup issue, they have six goals, only one from open play. Lack of options going forward. Is Christine Sinclair still the best option to lead the line? And what happened at the back line with the crimes against defending that we saw certainly in the last match, but at times... Built the tournament in three matches, six halves of football. They played one half of football well, and that was the second half against Ireland. So, so many questions about the tactics, about the team set up, about the preparation, and about the federation. We'll get into it today with our two guests who know the sport in and out better than I do and can find some answers and maybe some solutions because lots of people are asking Questions as they got up early and were disappointed early in the match. We'll start with Julia Rainey, who's been writing about not just our women's national team, but the entire tournament for Sportsnet. She's much more positive than me in general. So let's see if Julia can extract some positives from what we saw down under that can be applied when the team comes back up north in just over a month to qualify for the Olympics in Paris. Let's go deep with Julie Rainey. So Julia, I don't know about you, but after watching that, it's just like, ugh. I don't even really know how to describe how difficult I imagine it is to really draw really any conclusions from that result and how you move forward and come away with any learnings. The biggest thing for me, and I said this off the top of the podcast, three matches, you're the highest-seeded team in the group. Of the six halves of football, I'd argue you played one of them well, or at least outplayed your opponent. What do you distill from the performance early Monday morning and the performance in the tournament at large? Of course. I mean, it's definitely a very heartbreaking and frustrating situation, not just for these Canadian players on the pitch, but for fans at home watching all across the country. I know a lot of people were behind this Canadian team, especially after a lot of the struggles that they've gone through since the Olympics in Tokyo. You know, of course, with their battle with the Federation for Equality, a lot of people were hoping this tournament, they would come out swinging. And unfortunately, they 
did not. They almost did the opposite of that. They almost seemed to let the pressure of the moment get to them, I felt. And that's that's really tough. And I'm sure these players today on the pitch, especially against Australia, where it was not a great performance from their part. And they will know that. They'll be heartbroken. They'll be devastated with themselves. And, you know, Sophie Schmidt, after the game, she said she was gutted for the fans at home because they were hoping to pull off something a little bit more exciting. But I just think Australia, they were the the better team they came out with momentum they came out with passion and today Canada just looked a little bit flat their communication wasn't there perhaps Australia's fans at home were the 12th man I mean I'm not really sure Um, but it was just I wasn't expecting Canada to come out so quiet I think at this tournament you know you mentioned the other games Canada went through in their group over Nigeria and Ireland and every single one of them it felt a little bit disjointed it felt disorganized and to what I mentioned before I can't help but wonder if maybe the issues with equality and federation came into play here even though they said they weren't trying to think about it it's hard to avoid this you know thing going on in in the background so I'm not really sure what exactly happened but I really hope that Canada use this as a learning opportunity because they have a huge qualifier coming up in September for the Paris Olympics in 2024. And if they can't sort out some of their issues, especially transitioning from the back line to attack, I don't know how they're going to place heading into the Olympic qualifiers. So we'll have to see what happens. But I think Bev Priestman will learn a lot about different lineups, players, who came with energy and passion versus players who didn't have momentum necessarily. But we're going to be looking at a different team moving forward, I think. This was Sophie Schmidt's last ever Canada game. Christine Sinclair, she's 40 years old. She's a legend, but she can't have much left in the tank. So I think Canada is really going to have to start looking to their youth moving forward. So, so much to get into. I want to touch on the Federation before I move forward. We know it played an impact, certainly, in the She Believes Cup. They were certainly standing for a lot, but emotionally they seemed drained. They played drained, and thus they didn't mm-hmm. play their best football. They had that experience, and going into you know, this uh, World Cup experience, they were close to a deal, and you know, after two matches, got a temporary deal done. Do you place some of this result on the ongoing conversation with the Federation and lack of a a clear resolution and or the lack of ability to ramp up and train because of the lack of resources from, from the Federation? I certainly think it's a big factor. I think there's always going to be the counter argument that when you step on the pitch, it's your responsibility to deliver, but At the end of the day, I always say sport, while there is, of course, you know, physical talent, tactical talent that needs to happen, it's a mental game as well. And it's certainly a factor that plays into, I think, how Canada has performed both at the She Believes Cup and at this Women's World Cup this year. 
the temporary deal that you mentioned after their second game in the tournament, it wasn't what they wanted. They made it very clear they were not happy. And I think these players are just drained at this point. They're tired of fighting for what they want. They're tired of not being listened to. And I certainly think that showed potentially in their lack of energy on the pitch, especially today against Australia. But you're right about this lack of resources. They don't have as many players available to them as they would have liked. They don't have access to training opportunities like as many training opportunities as they would have wanted. They don't have as many support staff. So think things like nutritionists, trainers, medical staff. And a lot of these players have ongoing injuries. And some of these support staff is crucial to their success. As well, I was reading that they didn't have opportunities to play that many matches before the Women's World Cup. They've hardly had any international friendlies or any exhibition games, albeit a couple, but not as many as they would have liked. So I think this team honestly is not used to playing together. They haven't practiced their set pieces. They haven't practiced gelling with one another on the pitch. And they all come from very different club environments across the world, really. And each club team plays with different styles and frequencies. So it's really hard to bring that all together again when you play for international for your country. So I definitely think all of the facets of this ongoing with battle with the Federation has certainly played a role. Um, albeit they will be disappointed that this Canadian team wasn't able to rally around that. You talked about looking forward and so... Uh, let's do that in terms of how this team should set up and and who uh, should be included. Sophie Schmidt, obviously this was her last cap for Canada. We'll see what the decision is uh, with Christine Sinclair. Uh, Alicia Chapman is 34, which is certainly not 40. Um, and there's still potentially some good football left. But in and around the age that players start to think of uh, focusing maybe on, on club football and less about international football. But by and large, other than the fact that there are players who, in a year's time, assuming you qualify for Paris, will be back uh, due to um, you know injury concerns or will be hopefully closer to full fitness um, due to injury concerns, how do you foresee this group moving forward who do you think we we may have seen their last football and and who do you think uh will come in to bev priestman's side definitely well of course you know it's very sad to see sophie schmidt gone she is an incredible veteran she's been huge for this team so for so many years so she deserves a lot of credit but I think moving forward, Bev Priestman really needs to focus on the Julia Grosso and Jesse Fleming partnership in the middle. They are outstanding players on their own. I think they just need a little bit more fine tuning to get each other's pace and get their rhythm going. I think Julia Grosso, she's 22 years old. She's an outstanding player. She, in the midfield, is a playmaker. She's somebody who... She's not afraid to take chances for herself, but she's very good at crossing balls in to create goal-scoring opportunities. And we didn't really see much of her this tournament, I thought, albeit helping to get that first goal over Ireland. But 
she is somebody I think needs to take a more central dominant role in the middle, especially with Sophie Schmidt um, retiring from international football. But I think looking at the front, of course, Canada's front line has been criticized recently for its lack of ability to convert and actually score goals. So Jordan Heidema is definitely something that needs to be addressed in the sense of she's tall, she's aggressive in the box, but she needs to be able to find the ball and to convert those chances. I think she will be able to with a little bit more training, a little bit more confidence, but I think she's somebody who's going to be looked at in the future to score goals. She's been dubbed the heir apparent to Christine Sinclair. And I mean, while nobody is ever going to compare to the great Christine in the sense that Jordan is going to come in and she's going to be the goal scorer where Christine was the goal scorer in the past. So I think working on connecting players like Julie Grosso and Jesse Fleming to Jordan Heidema up front will be ideal as well. Adriana Leon, she really did impress me this tournament as well, especially up the flanks here. But she's 30 years old. She's getting on in her career eventually as well. So I think it's time for some of these young players to really step into the spotlight and maybe having a disappointing World Cup is some momentum and kind of a a kick for them to move forward, I, I sure hope. But we also saw Olivia Smith coming in today. I think she's going to develop a lot in the future. She's extremely young. She shocked people when she even made this Women's World Cup squad. And she just signed for sporting. So she's got a lot of potential. But I think Canada's main goal here is to really work on their midfield connecting to their front line. Yeah, I can't remember a major tournament, including, quite frankly, the Olympics, where the majority of their goals came from the spot um, in, in PKs. And that's obviously not sustainable. Uh, I can't remember mm-hmm. an Olympics where the massive question was where the goal's going to come from. And that is uh, the case even with uh, Christine Sinclair, who has you know, more international goals than anybody walking the face of the earth. And so mm-hmm. as she's become more of a provider, that has become a bigger and bigger uh, question. The question... Uh, Moving forward, because when we look at this team, you know, didn't ever really seem settled in terms of their selection, um, partially because of health, partially because of of form. Um, The the front three never really seemed like, you know, there was an understanding they could play together. For, uh, you know, the, as you mentioned, qualifiers uh, coming up in September, everyone's you know, fit and available. And Bev Priestman asks, who my starting 11 should be? How are you filling out your team sheet? Ooh, that's a great question. And I love these questions as well. But, oh my gosh, I think in the net, I don't think Kaylin Sheridan is going to go anywhere. I don't think it was her best tournament, but I've seen a lot of class from her when she plays for San Diego Wave in the NWSL. But Kaylin Sheridan will definitely be in the net she is usually very commanding and very aggressive so that's what we love about her the most the defenders i think we'll see ashley lawrence vanessa gilles kadisha buchanan 
and probably Jade Riviere step into that more starting fullback position over Alicia Chapman. I think Jade, she's stepping into this international tournament, maybe with a little bit of nerves, of course. She had a major injury herself as well, so she's just getting back on the pitch. But when she gets back to full health, I think she'll be fabulous for Canada. Um, midfield, I think we'll still play probably with a 4-3-3. So three in the midfield, Jesse Fleming, Julia Grosso, and probably Quinn. I was very impressed with Quinn this tournament, and I don't think they got as much recognition as they should have. So I think that would be my choice for midfield. And up front, now this is the million-dollar question. I think we'll see probably... For me, it's a toss-up between four players, Adriana Leon, Chloe Lacasse, Evelyn Viennes, and Jordan Heidema. I'm not sure who will make the top three. I think Bev Priestman favors Evelyn Viennes. I personally really love Chloe Lacasse. She just signed for Arsenal in the WSL. And last season in the Women's Champions League, she had one of the highest goal-scoring percentages. And her team didn't even make it very far. So Chloe Lacasse is, is used to getting the ball in the net, but we haven't really seen her play too much for Canada. So I think maybe some more minutes in the WSL this season will prove vital for her trying to break that starting lineup in Paris. But those are some players that I'm going to pinpoint as who to watch for the future. But of course, who knows what Bev Priestman has in mind, but that's who I would pick. And looking forward, assuming you know they get to Paris and they're looking to defend their Olympic championship and you know some of the players that missed out on being fully fit for this tournament are available. Is there one player that wasn't, you know, with the squad in Australia that you see coming in and making a, a big impact on things for me? And it's odd to say this because she's only 20, but to me, I think it's Jade Rose. I think they missed, mm -hmm. uh, you know, her positional flexibility, her technical uh, ability, certainly. Um, and so I, I think maybe the the obvious choice might be Janine Becky, given their um, issues you know, with key passes and finishing in the final third. But I, I think Jade Rose could be that player. But for you, who, who do you think um, it could be that linchpin if they get mm. them back to fully health? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. I agree with your choice of Jade Rose, absolutely. But... I will have to chat a little bit about Janine Becky. I think a lot of people, of course, turned to her, and she was a huge blow to lose her to that horrid ACL injury, of course. But Janine Becky, as you mentioned, she's great at pursuing the attack forward. Of course, her crosses are fabulous and precise. But I think what Canada missed this Women's World Cup as well was perhaps some of that leadership and confidence coming from a you know demanding and both commanding player and Janine Becky does that she demands a lot from her team and I'm not saying we didn't see a leadership at all out there but I think in pivotal moments when Canada was maybe losing energy there was nobody to pick the squad up nobody to get the ball rolling again everyone was just kind of standing around and Watching it as a spectator, it was very frustrating to see that. And I'm sure Janine was watching it from wherever she is amidst her rehabilitation, probably getting frustrated as well.
but I think honestly this team just really needed that player to bring everyone together to make the team a united front and Janine absolutely does that and I really hope that somebody if it's not her will be able to step up and do that for their their games moving forward because as I mentioned before mentality and hope is a big thing and I just think this Canadian team especially today against Australia lost a lot of hope well given the adjectives that you're using I thought you were going to say Desiree Scott uh, and mm-hmm. it's someone mm-hmm. who, uh, in the spine of that midfield, can be a bit of a shield to the back four. Again, we'll see what um, her international career looks like. She's been able to do that, obviously, so well in the NWSL for the Kansas City current. But at 36 years of age, how long should she be able to physically do that, especially you know, uh, from a full-time perspective? for the national team begs to be seen as she wasn't able to get back to fitness in time uh, for this tournament. Let's broaden the scope a little bit because the tournament is still going on with this group, the supposed group of death, the super Falcons of Nigeria go through, which is exciting mm-hmm. to see uh, the Matildas, the home nation goes through with, you know, obviously leaving it to the last day and, and we'll see what the fitness, if there is any, of, of obviously Sam Kerr is she didn't even really partake in warm-ups uh, for this match, and, and obviously she wasn't really needed. But it's a wide-open tournament with some curious score lines, both in uh, goal difference but also in you know the, the outcomes and the winners and losers. I, I yeah. know you've been high on Japan. Who yeah. do you have... Based off of what you've seen uh, thus far, who do you tip uh, making a deep run and eventually hoisting the trophy? For sure. I mean, you mentioned Japan, and I have to talk about Japan. I just think not a lot of people expected this team to be so great that they've been so far. Of course, a lot of the energy and a lot of the eyes are on the big teams like Spain, Brazil, Germany. But Japan, they've won all three games of their group stage. They, you know, they got 10 goals and they didn't concede a single goal. That is absolutely outstanding. And to take a team like Spain 4-0, that's crazy. I don't think anybody was expecting that at all. So major kudos to this team. In today's match, they had, I believe it was something like 32% possession. And they still won with such a commanding scoreline. They're such a patient team. They're precise. They're clinical when it matters. And what I love about this Japanese team, too, is they're great friends. And I think they really lift each other up. And that can go a long way on the pitch, too. I know team environment can really play a role. What we talked about with this Canadian, um, you know, drama going on that can really weigh on these players. So I would love to see Japan make a deep run. I'm also a big Brazil fan. I think they'll do great in this this tournament as well. Um, I know they've had some great games and maybe some rocky starts, but I think they'll come out when it really matters. Ari Borges getting a hat trick in one of her first games. That was amazing. And when they're on, they're, they're top for sure. Uh, I also think Norway could do very well. They just had a 6-0 win, and 
their players, again, when they're on, they're clean, they're crisp. But honestly, it's kind of hard to make a choice about who could go far when we see some crazy upsets and score lines. I believe, you know, Colombia beating Germany, that was a huge upset. Everybody thought Germany was going to win. Germany is ranked second in this tournament. And I think some of these score lines is what's making this Women's World Cup so exciting. Headlines are being made, records are being broken, and of course we have to talk about this Super Falcons team. They've always been strong, but maybe haven't had as much media attention on them, and I think it's great that they're going into this tournament with commanding wins, and we're seeing some of these players that we wouldn't normally see on the world stage really shine. So I think that's pretty cool, but I don't know. I'm afraid if I make a choice, it's going to be wrong, but we'll see. Those are some teams that I would watch. Well, it just shows the depth that we have in the women's game and the level of investment in multiple countries and the need to continue to invest and reinvest and push the bar a little bit higher in Canada and North America as, you know, Europe and Central America, um, Oceania, all, all, all catch up as well and and that brings me you know to my final thoughts and my concern if I'm being honest and that's project eight not that I'm concerned about it Mm -hmm. but the momentum you know that had been built from you know an Olympic gold medal and the conversation of imagine if we had a domestic league what could we do and that snowball effect that you've seen in the United States with the domestic game growing as the international team continue to grow in popularity my fear is with an early exit and a disappointing result that some of that momentum is slowed we have founding partners in cibc and in doordash um, and air canada um, to help hopefully the league get off the ground in 2025 three cities obviously announced in, in vancouver calgary and toronto and looking to fill out with with five more but uh, my hope is that you know we continue to grow the game, and and certainly if the team performed really well, I would have said that this is going to help that conversation. So thus, since they haven't performed really well, my concern is that it might curtail it. What okay. do you think about the prospects of um, our domestic game and pathways for women in Canada, and and how we can make sure that continues? to go in the right direction. For sure. And I think, first of all, your fear about the momentum, that's absolutely valid. My question during this whole tournament as well about the Project 8 League coming to Canada is, now what's the draw for pro players to come to Canada? You know, especially seeing things in the news and the media about this battle with the Federation, about Canada not really producing, what's going to make somebody want to come to this league in Canada to play versus the NWSL, the WSL in England, any of the French leagues. So I think that's a question that's maybe going to have to be asked and unpacked in the next little bit. But I honestly would love to see this league continue to grow and flourish. I think what's going to grow the game, especially for young women coming up, in Canada is just continuing to see these Canadian women out on the pitch, giving their all, 
still trying to connect with their communities and really not backing down, just trying to dig in there, not give up and try to fight for what they believe in and still get the results. I mean, results are results. Unfortunately, Bev Priestman said at the end of the match today against Australia that it's football and it's the name of the game, but they have to still go out there and hold their heads high and try to act as role models for Canada. And I think this Canadian team needs to pick themselves up, put themselves back out there and show the world that despite a lackluster performance, they're still here, they're still fighting and yeah, they're not going to give up and they're going to do everything they can to support the future of women's football. Because if they start to let this momentum, this energy keep getting drained from them, how is that going to impact the women wanting to play in the league or young women coming up through the ranks? So I just think they need to reset, refocus, and continue to play and support their country with the most respect and trust that they can. Well said. And also uh, well written. The coverage of the tournament thus far has been great. You're covering the tournament at large and not just uh, the Canadian national team. So we'll continue to check for your work uh, on sportsnet.ca and elsewhere. Uh, Thank you so much, Julia. Thank you so much for the chat today and looking forward to the future of soccer. Thanks so much to Julia. You can find her on Twitter at Julia Leah Rainey, R-A-N-N-E-Y is how you spell her last name. And as I mentioned, she's writing for Sportsnet throughout the tournament, some really great takeaways, as you just heard. So just because Canada's out, continue to watch, continue to support women's sports, something that, quite frankly, we haven't done consistently in this country, no matter the sport. But it's really and truly the case when you consider how good our national team has been in soccer, despite the lack of resources at time. Someone who knows that well and can maybe translate how that plays out in the pitch is Kalen Kyle, who is pitch side for Apple TV Plus and the MLS, doing a great job covering Messi and the explosion of the sport in the United States. But we also want our perspective on the explosion of the women's sport. Kalen Kyle, after the break, I'm going deep. My name is Lucille Bryan. I'm Clifton Bryan. My grandson is a show. And I'm so happy that you are listening to Gondi with Donovan Bennett. I'm so glad that he had the show. Thank you. Thanks so much, Grandma and Granddad, who, like me, like you, got up early to watch Canada and early realized it was going to be a long match. But some of the issues are much more than the 90 minutes plus of what we saw on our television or for some of the voyagers who made the trip down what they saw in person in Australia. They're much bigger. And as the sport continues to get bigger and more nations come into the sport, specifically on the women's side, well, you need to increase the level of engagement, of investment. And sadly in Canada, it seems like maybe we're going in the wrong direction. Someone whose career is going in the right direction is Kaylin Kyle. She's the pride of Saskatchewan soccer. Now she's one of the many talented faces 
who's an analyst for MLS Seasons Pass for Apple TV. She's been to the World Cup twice for Team Canada, has an Olympic medal for our country, and now is going all over the world covering the sport but always representing the country. Let's catch up with Kaylin on Canada being out of the World Cup, but the world's game continuing to get bigger and bigger on the global stage. So, Kaylin, I wish I was talking to you with a better scoreline, a better group result. And I, before we, we talk about the match and the tactics, just take me into the emotions for you, someone who clearly obviously knows the sport at a high level but has given a lot to that badge, the federation, the country, what it was like for you uh, to watch this morning. Well, I'm running on about two hours of sleep because I finished MLS season pass last night with the league's coverage. Got home around 3.30, slept for about an hour, and then turned on the game and then just finished up with SiriusXM for a three-hour show. And I'm like, I'm devastated. I'm depleted. I feel terrible. Like, I have so many emotions right now, but first and foremost, like, I know how much those women give to the game. So, like, I go on social media and everyone's like, oh, they should just shut up and play and, like, stop worrying about the federation and that fight and, you know, play for the badge. That's what they're doing. Like, that is literally what they wake up and do every single morning is try to change the game, not only in Canada, but globally. So when our daughters grow up, the the men that are tweeting at me right now that have young daughters that are hoping to aspire to play for Canada aren't just being told to shut up and play. Like these women are literally trying to fight for, it's not equal pay. It's so much bigger than that. It's for equality. It's for proper trainers, proper physios. They played four games leading into this world cup. And one of them, the federation was going to sue them unless they played in the Shibu East cup. So like they go into that tournament, they lose two out of the three games. I think it was Brazil that they beat. Correct me if I'm wrong. Then they go into one game before the World Cup. It's a closed-door friendly against France, which is completely different in a closed-door friendly. Like, you want to play at home. You want to play in front of a sold-out stadium. You want to get the buzz that you're going to get at a World Cup. And they didn't even get that opportunity. Yet, our men's team's having more home games. And now, mind you, it's for the Gold Cup. But, like, how, how is this even possible? Like, it's just kind of like a head scratcher at this point that you look at a federation that these women have given up so much, like playing. We barely had camps. We barely had, you know, two nickels to rub together. We were playing for nothing in the NWSL in order to represent our country where some of our players are on $7,000 a year. I was one of the top paid players in the NWSL I was on $30,000 a year. That was before taxes. So spare me when people are like, shut up and play like it it actually drives me insane this is so much of a bigger fight and quite honestly with the Canadian Soccer Federation minus Jason DeVos who played for the men's national team you know he was our assistant coach for Canada he was the men's assistant coach for Canada as well under John Herdman both times like he is trying to fight the battles behind the scenes but unfortunately when you employ new people, but that we're still part of the old guard, you're still going to get the same results, and that's what we're getting. Well, it's funny because I was fighting with a friend in a group chat about this very same topic, and their response was, 
it's capitalist society. If there was money there, there'd be money there that, you know, essentially it should be an honor to play for your country and you shouldn't be looking to take away money from the grassroots. I, I, they're I not, though. So That's the thing. They're not taking money away from the grassroots. They're trying to put money into the grassroots. They're trying to fight where where is this money going? They want transparency. They want open communication with the Canadian Soccer Federation. Like the last 10 years is probably the most money that Canada soccer has generated in revenue. And where is it? I would love to know who was the one that signed off on the Canadian sports business deal because I don't need to go to business school. I mean, I can barely read. I can barely write. Like I can read my teleprompter pretty damn good, but I know that that is not a good deal. And that shows it. Like we have no money. Yeah. I think those, those two gentlemen are, are working for CONCACAF in high paying roles right now. Um, but yeah, well, it's funny cause I, I, I tweeted this and, and maybe I'm misguided, but I think both things can be true. I think the Federation could have routinely let the, the players down. And I think, uh, that the tactics could be in question and that there was large spans of the group stage where Canada came in as the highest ranked team, uh, saying that they were underrated where they were outclassed and, and outworked. Uh, are, are those two things independently potentially true, or do you think that they're in some way related? Look, I think that Canada was outclassed on the pitch. I think they were outmanaged on the pitch as well. So I'm not putting full blame on the Canadian Soccer Federation at all, but I'm putting a big blame on them because they didn't have the proper camps in order to get ready for the biggest tournament in the world. Like, you look, go back and look at the camps that the men's team had going into Qatar. Go back and look at the money that was pumped into that team to go to Qatar. Go back and look at the money pumped into our Canadian Soccer Federation uh, VPs in order for them to look good at in Qatar. Flying first class to and from men's games. Flying first class to Qatar. Staying in a five-star hotel in Qatar. I knew where they were staying. They texted me, hey, do you want to meet up and talk about 2026? No, I don't. I want to talk about... 2023 women's world cup i don't want to talk about the 2026 world cup like i'm proud to cover them the men's team i love our men's team i love the men's game but like it's just disrespectful when your former president of canada soccer texts me about the 2026 world cup when you have a women's world cup leading into it that tells you everything you need to know well i think the harsh reality is given the football calendar for women you also in just over a month have to qualify to, for the Olympics. What are the learnings from this uh, tournament that can be applied to the program moving forward? Because you mentioned the fact that in your eyes, you know, they were a bit mismanaged uh, you know, tactically in, in this tournament. Yeah, absolutely. I think you look at someone like Christine Sinclair. I mean, I love Christine Sinclair. The go to the game, one of the best that ever did it. And probably won't go down as that because she never won a World Cup like an Abby Wambach, like an Alex Morgan, like a Mia Hamm. But should she have started? No. Like, unfortunately, it's the world's biggest game. It's the biggest and best teams in the world. And, like, you can go back and look at the Olympic Games. But the teams that qualify for the Olympics, it's actually the World Cup that is a qualifier for Europe. So your top teams weren't even at the Olympics. So you look at... I understand Jesse Fleming might have had a little bit of a knock for that first game, so fair enough. But in the game today, where you needed to win most, you move Jordan Heidema out wide, where that is not her best position, not even close to being her best position. You have Christine Sinclair leading the line. Like, 
You need Paste in that game. You need Deanna Rose. You need Rose Lavelle. Or sorry, excuse me. Um, Deanna Rose. Leading, like, you have so many good players in wide areas with Pace. Like, Adriana Leon has been fantastic. I'm actually so happy that Bev decided to give her all three starts because she deserved that. But it just, it was, a, it was mismanaged with the 11s. And I think it showed in the players' performance that, you know, offensively when they were trying to move the ball forward, Christine Sinclair in that first, bring her off the bench. I mean, bring her on in the 60th minute mark. But again, this is why I'm not a manager. I just commentate on the games because I know how hard that job is. And I also know that Bev Priestman did a fantastic job man- managing that team at the Olympics in order for them to lift the title. Well, it's been a wide open tournament thus far to the detriment unfortunately for Canada but there has been some beautiful football played which you know I think in this country you know your former country obviously in, in Canada and oh, uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. it's still my it's still my country it'll never be my former country I do have two enough. American baby boys so I'm fair part enough. American I married an Englishman but I'll forever be Canadian fair enough shout out to Saskatoon but um, but in this country, from a day-to-day sporting conversation, you know, once the national team's out, the conversation dies. But it's been a great tournament in terms of uh, the attendance, the atmosphere in stadiums, the, the quality of play and goals, how open it's been. Um, you know, for a lover of the sport and the game to see the level that we've, we've seen, what's that like for you? It's been phenomenal. It's been the best Women's World Cup in... I was really nervous when Infantino announced that they were going to go to 32 teams. I thought it was a mistake, and I actually got to talk to him in Qatar, and then I talked to him at the launching of the 2026 logo out in L.A., and he was like, so what do you think? And I was like, I'm nervous. I'm nervous because you have these federations that you know haven't been given FIFA money because they haven't qualified for a World Cup. So I don't think they're going to be ready, and I'm, I'm nervous that these games are going to be blown out like we saw Thailand get blown up by the U.S. Women's National Team last World Cup. And I was very vocal about it. Like, that's great to win or get into a World Cup, but to go and get blown out 11-0 by the U.S., like, it doesn't bode well for the women's side. Well, Infantino obviously knew what he was doing because this tournament has been phenomenal. I mean, Colombia's win over Germany was incredible. Um, You look at the Philippines, their 1-0 win over New Zealand, insane. Uh, African teams doing so extremely well. Jamaica, Nigeria, Randy Waldrum, what he's doing with that team has been phenomenal. I played under him at the, with the Houston Dash. And like scoring goals, keeping clean sheets. Like Jamaica have two clean sheets. And it was a federation that was going through the ringer as well. And it was um, Bob Marley's daughter that actually came in five years ago. And I worked with her in Miami when she put on a tournament to bring Jamaica in to play Costa Rica just to give them an international friendly. She paid for everything. She continues to pay for everything in order for these women. It was actually her son that came home from school in Jamaica and with a flyer and said, help support um, the Jamaican women's national team. And she said, what? She's like, I'm going to fund that team. So ended up putting it in the Bob Marley Foundation and has been putting on incredible events in order to get them the money that they need to qualify, the money they need for proper jerseys, proper footwear. And it's showing at this World Cup, like the singing and the dancing, like the sheer thrill and like desire to win games. And now beating some of the biggest teams and players on the biggest stages. I mean, it's just phenomenal to see. It, it has been for sure. Uh, we, we talked about the GOAT and Christine Sinclair. And, and, you know, this may not be her last cap for Canada, but it most likely, 
I'd have to imagine would be her last World Cup. We know it's going to be the last World Cup for Megan Rapinoe. Um, two individuals you've, you've played with, played against. Uh, for you, what are their individual legacies in the sport? Huge. Without them, we wouldn't have this sport. Without them, we wouldn't have the platforms we have. Without them, I wouldn't be with one of the biggest deals right now with Apple and Major League Soccer that streams in over 100 countries, Lionel, covering Lionel Messi week in and week out. Like, I wouldn't have been at Qatar covering the Men's World Cup pitch side for our, watching Argentina host the World Cup. That's because of these players. Like, that's not, yes, I have work ethic and I'm driven and I'm, you know, that Saskatchewan girl, girl where if people tell me no, I'm like, well, watch me because I can. That's just kind of how I grew up with my family. But Christine Sinclair has been like an advocate both on and off the pitch for women in sports. Megan Rapino, I mean, Jesus, that woman, I wouldn't be shocked if she was president, the first lady president, not first lady, the first woman president of the United States. Like, She's just a boss, ass, B-I-T-C-H. Like, she is unbelievable what she's doing. And both of them, at the end of the day, you can sit down and have a margarita with them, and they're the best people in the world. Like, that, for me, makes a good person great when they are relatable to everyone. Like, I've never not seen them connect with anyone, which is really extremely difficult to do. You mentioned your coverage of, uh, you know, not just... Miami, but Messi, I would have thought you sitting down talking to Infantino would have been a flex if I didn't know that you've been rubbing shoulders with arguably the greatest, uh, you know, male player of all time. Like, describe what the impact of him has been on the city, the club, and the league. Well, I mean, first and foremost, like before Lionel Messi came in, Apple came in with a huge deal with Major League Soccer to buy the rights. So that took from MLS, a small, smaller entity, to making them, you know, attainable of one of the top five teams or one of the top five leagues in the world. Sorry, excuse me. I'm walking with my dog trying to get my exercise in because I don't stop working, man. Um, but they have done such an incredible job to take it globally. I mean, like my mom's in Canada and like half the time when I was on MLS broadcast in Miami, she wouldn't be able to watch. She can only watch the Canadian teams, the TSN, the Sportsnet, the TFCs, the Montreal, um, CF Montreal can call Montreal Impact. Whoops, that's not them anymore. And Vancouver Whitecaps. Like, she could never watch my stuff. Now she tune, tunes in every week and she's like, oh, you're quite good at this. So I was like, yeah, mom, I've been doing it for four years. I hope I am. Um, but it, it's just, it's remarkable to see what Apple's done, what Adidas has done what Major League Soccer has done and the owners of Inter Miami, Jorge Mas and David Beckham. Like David Beckham said when he got the franchise, obviously that was worked into his contract at LA Galaxy. So he bought the franchise in Miami. They've had, you know, trouble trying to break ground with stadiums. They finally got their dream stadium that'll break ground in 2025, I believe. But they set up a temporary stadium that's absolutely gorgeous, an award-winning training facility. And they brought the biggest and best player coming off rush off of the world cup to play in major league soccer like major league soccer for me now has opened the door to top european talent it used to be that league where people would say well i'm going to come retire there like it's a retirement league it's not it's athletic it's fast the travel is impossible like sometimes you're traveling la to new york that's a six and a half hour flight like people don't do that in europe for the uh, Champions League final. Do you know what I mean? Like the longest you go in Europe is maybe three hours. So um, it's remarkable to see. I'm like delighted, obviously, 
that I'm part of it. We head back down to Miami on Tuesday to cover the round of 32 knockout match, Orlando City into Miami. But you're starting to see like storylines. Like the history is not there with Major League Soccer and it will get there. You know, like when you're born in Europe or you're born in South America or you're born in Spain, you're born into a family supporting Boca. You're born into a family supporting Real Madrid, Barcelona, Manchester United, Liverpool. Here, you're starting to see that. You're starting to see young kids in stadiums with soccer-specific jerseys that are born into these families now that are like, oh, cool, we support Cincinnati on a Wednesday night in front of a sold-out stadium at TQL. Like, it's just, it's so cool to be part of, and I'm delighted that, you know, Apple and Major League Soccer have hired me to to be part of history and to be part of something truly great. Well, the nice thing about not having that history is you can try new things right the the coverage and the changes that you've made to it with apple and what you've been doing with seasons past has been cool the league cup just like having you know that as a as a platform and another trophy to play for um has has been cool uh your mom gets to watch you and say you're quite good at it but when she watches specifically your coverage of canadian teams i'm sure she has not been impressed with that football maybe she's impressed with vancouver but it's been tough for montreal and tfc certainly uh, what do you make of the struggles of our three teams here in Canada? Look, for Vancouver, they've turned a corner. I wouldn't even put them in that category. You have Brian White, Ryan Gold that have been phenomenal for the Vancouver Whitecaps and giving the fans what they truly deserve. I played in Vancouver for so many years, and the Southsiders are some of the best and biggest supporters in Major League Soccer. Like, through thick and thin, they show up for that team, and they've seen some pretty dark moments. Montreal, I mean, unbelievable last year under Wilford Nancy. And then they went and sold the core of their team, like the best players on their team, which you do. If someone comes in with a high price tag for one of your players, of course, you're going to sell them. You want to see them do well, but you also want to make money. It's business at the end of the day. So they start sluggish. I will say they've turned it around. They made a great transaction with Kamal Miller to Inter-Miami, bringing in Bryce Duke and Ariel Lassiter. That was a head scratcher for me at first. I was like, what is going on? What are they doing? Um, so it, it ended up working out for them. They've kind of turned a corner in league's play. Um, and then for Toronto, I mean, that is a dumpster fire through and through. But if I look at Toronto, you got to look up at upper management, someone like a Bill Manning, because it's not the coaches. It's not the players. Like, it, it's something bigger within that club because – it doesn't make sense. Like they've gone through numerous coaches. They've gone through numerous top talent players. It's a sad situation because I, I love playing in Toronto. It was one of our hubs for the Canadian women's national team for international games and friendlies and the fans are phenomenal. Like when TFC is flying, you look at how they were with Giovinco. I said it as a joke when they were, when Giovinco was like, look, I'll come back for league minimum. And I'm like, sign him. And everyone's like, Kaylin, you're crazy. He's way past it. And now everyone's like, sign him. And I'm like, yeah, you guys just listen to me. Put me in a GM role. I'll get the job done. But, you know, jokes aside, this is a bigger issue at Toronto. I mean, you look at the amount of coaches that they've had there. You look at the amount of players that they've had there and big time players as well since the Giovinco era um, and the Josie Altador era. Era of when they were unstoppable like that has to be put on different ownership you know like the bill manning the person that's making the decisions and and kind of you know bringing in these players or not bringing in these players or trading these players and now it's you know they talked about a rebuild bringing in bob bradley i was really critical of bob bradley 
but he was given almost two years, just over 18 months. And now they're doing another rebuild, like trading, you know, Matt Hedges, you know, Richie Larea, is he going to come back? Is he not going to come back? Um, Federico Bernardeschi being dropped to the bench last night in the league's cup, Lorenzo Insigne out injured yet again. Like these are those moments where it's like, okay, what does their team want to be? Who do they want to be? They have to go back to the get it right from the get back for Terry Dumfield. Cause I know him personally is such a phenomenal person and coach and mentor and understands the game, but he was literally given a team that was just burning to the ground. And now he's seven games out of win and, and you feel for him because he just looks defeated on the, on the touchline. And then last night, you know, he has a lot of Academy players because of the amount of injuries that they have within that. So I feel like this is a great time. I'm actually glad they lost out of the league's cup. They have two and a half weeks to get things sorted out and really get back on the right track. Well, you might end up getting that GM role uh, that you speak of, uh, which certainly would be a loss for us because we've loved you on the MLS coverage uh, with Apple and your, your coverage, not just of the MLS, but uh, of the international game as well. It's a tough day for the national team and all of its supporters, but it's always a good shining example to see you, uh, someone capped for our country, someone who's won a medal for our country, continuing to spread the gospel of the sport and represent our country just in a really different fashion. So thank you so much for taking the time and thank you so much uh, for repping Canada always, no matter where you are. Well, thank you so much for having me. Honestly, anytime, you've been a pleasure. Thanks so much to Kaylin once again, who kept it 100 and brought lots of knowledge, knowledge that she brings all the time. She's on the League's Cup coverage for Apple. She's also the host of MLS 360 and she's on Twitter. At Kaylin Kyle is the handle. Give her a follow because her tweets are just as fire as the analysis that we got from her. And it's been fun to watch to see her career grow from doing some analysis here in Canada for TSN to going one-on-one with the likes of Leo Messi. Glad that she made some time in her busy schedule for us, and although our recaps of Team Canada are sadly done, we'll continue to follow the progression of the team. As we mentioned, September, massive step towards qualifying to the Olympics in Paris next year. For now, I'm going to have a show. Thank you so much for listening. Please like, favorite, share, subscribe. We'll talk to you next time.